going to teach you as disciples some important aspects of living unto Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, would you help us today? Would you help us align our lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ and with the kingdom of our Father? Would you help us understand our pursuits? And Lord God, bring us out of this culture and into the kingdom's ways and purposes. Help us to see that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I asked the question this morning, is nothing sacred anymore? Is nothing sacred? I want to speak to you about making things sacred in our lives. And in this culture, there is nothing sacred sacred anymore. In fact, all that is sacred has basically been put to death. And so sacred has been buried. It's an old mindset. It's an old thought. And unfortunately, for many people in the church, those things that are sacred have been set aside. Let me help you understand, even just beginning with this, the sense that um, is there anything sacred? You know, there used to be a time when truth was sacred. Truth is no longer sacred. Truth is not something that comes transcendently from God. Truth is relative, your truth and my truth. So the concept of a sacred truth, a truth that reveals what is right morally and wrong, is basically dismissed in our culture. There is no sense of a sacred truth. Now, we are stewards of truth. We're the people who hold the mysteries of God, and we're supposed to be the pillars of truth in the earth. But it's hard to be that pillar when everybody else recognizes or thinks that that is of no use. But that should not stop us. Truth is sacred. And even in the church, truth has been distorted, and there are sacred truths that have been dismissed. The concept of hell, the concept of of uh, everybody gets saved. The concept of Christ is the only way of salvation. These truths have been compromised, and that which is sacred truth has been dismissed. And we need to get it back. And I'll tell you what, if you dismiss truth as sacred, then you dismiss life as sacred. And we see that around us. The value of life is no longer sacred. We don't see human beings as sacred one to another. We see them as whether we get along or not. But all life is created in the image of God. But evolutionary thought has dismissed the sacred aspect of life and made it simply animal life. Which is interesting because nowadays animals are more valuable than people. And so we abort children and we kill the old and those who are of special need we simply marginalize and there's nothing sacred to life. And if you're suffering in life, then the quality of life should be determined as to whether you live or not. Yet all life, healthy or ill, is sacred. And so if truth is no longer sacred, then life is no longer sacred. And if life is no longer sacred, then the propagation of life and sex is no longer sacred. Sex is a gift from God so that this life would continue and that we would have children and children's children. And sex has now become recreational sport, fornication and adultery. And I'm talking inside the church. There's nothing sacred in the church to sex much anymore. And most are hooked on pornography. And most people are struggling with the concept of sex to the place to where not only is sexual identity an issue, but we can decide our sex. 
It is no longer sacred that God creates us as man or woman. We can pick it and choose it when we want. And so you can see what happens to that which was once sacred concerning truth, concerning life, concerning sexuality, and then it attacks marriage. Therefore, marriage is no longer sacred, nor is the family. The family's been disintegrating since the 60s, and men no longer have a place in the home. We don't need fathers only to have a kid. Well, we don't even need that anymore. We'll just go to the clinic and get a kid uh, implanted. And so there's, there's no need for family and marriage, and marriages are busting up. In fact, people don't even get married anymore, and I'm talking in the church. And uh, people are, again, cohabitating, and the value of marriage has done, been decreased even to the place where we have successfully redefined or dismantled the definition of marriage. To where marriage is no longer sacred between a man and a woman, it is whatever you want it to be between anybody. Another aspect of what has been lost in this, that which is sacred is language. We no longer speak in a sense of that which is sacred. We don't communicate with dignity. We don't speak anymore, read, and have language that has value and honor We are speaking with filthy mouths, and we speak irreverently to each other. I think that was displayed quite well in the national election as to the value of speech. We never got to the issues, did we? We just denigrated one another and yelled at each other. And that's about the extent of the sacredness of language. You know, I'm here speaking to you in a sacred word of God that was spoken to us in a language from God that is sacred. So we've lost that which is sacred in language, and finally we've lost that which is sacred in religion. We mock religion, and as you see in the new atheists and the new move of most people, that religion is to be mocked, and images of Christ are mocked, images of God are mocked, and so there is nothing sacred. Even if you weren't a believer in a religion, in the public square there was a sense of that which is sacred. Buildings are no longer sacred. Churches, synagogues, people of faith are no longer sacred, but simply they're fools for believing in fairy tales. And so we've lost the sense of that which is sacred. Many of you have felt it. You are no longer considered someone who's honorable by having faith. You are someone who's stupid. Could you actually believe in this? And then finally it leads to that which is no longer sacred, and that's God himself. We've dismissed God from school, we've dismissed God from social life, and we want to dismiss God completely from this planet. And that's where people are at. And unfortunately, the church is being impacted by that. Let me tell you something. What happens to those who lose what is sacred? Let's start at the beginning. Adam and Eve. God said, that tree's sacred, don't touch It doesn't have to be that which is so extreme. It can be something very simple. The command of the Lord is to say, stay away from this for it is sacred. It is separate. It is holy. And if you don't understand it in your approach, you will die. And so when we lose what is sacred in our thinking and understanding, we will die. And it's a simple act of disobedience for them to taste that fruit. 
because they no longer considered the word of the Lord, the command of the Lord, sacred in their lives. And how many of us have dismissed and cherry-picked which words and which commands of the word of God we will trust and won't trust? The minute we begin to change and shift what we'll take and not take in this word, we've taken the sacredness out of the word in our lives. Cain, the sacredness of offering a sacrifice to God. He didn't do it the way God prescribed. He felt he could offer worship the way he wanted. I'll approach you, God, the way I want to, and I'll give you what I want to give you. And I wonder how many people come to the presence of God and come together in the church with that same attitude. And God said, Cain, let's negotiate. Let's talk about this. You've got sin right at your heart's door. Something's amiss. Why don't you try this again? Ultimately, Cain said, you want a sacrifice? I'll give you blood. And he killed his brother. Life no longer was sacred when approaching God was not sacred to Cain, then being his brother's keeper was no longer sacred to him. Do you see what's happening in our society when no longer is life sacred? It happened with Cain. Death. When we take the sacredness out of life, it brings death. How many of you remember Uzzah? You need to study up on Uzzah or Uzzah as uh, he probably pronounced his last breath. The ark of God's presence was no longer sacred to him. David wanted to bring the ark of the covenant up into the city of the king, Jerusalem. And so he put it on an ox cart. Shouldn't have done that, but Uzzah didn't tell him any different. Uzzah was a Kohathite. Uzzah understood how to move and handle the furniture of God, but he no longer considered it sacred. And when the oxen stumbled and the Ark of the Covenant of God began to fall or trip off the cart, Uzzah simply was going to steady it with his hands. And the minute he touched that Ark, Uzzah died. God is such a grouch. No. Life is sacred. God is holy. God is sacred. And we are not. And we need to esteem Him as sacred. Even the things of God as sacred. And So the presence of God, the ark is literally Jesus sitting on that cart. God's presence dwelling on that cart. And you don't approach it. God would rather fall into the dirt than be touched by something unclean. And so that which is sacred, if we don't hold what is sacred, and how many of you remember Ananias and Sapphira? They were in the New Testament in the new church. And they decided that they would rather lie to God to keep a reputation. Now, come on, how much does that go on every day? We'd rather lie to to God so that we keep our reputation. And they instantly died. The minute we begin to put to death that which is sacred in our lives, we are dying incrementally day by day. We're losing the value of the holiness of God and that which is sacred so we don't live up to a sacred life. We have God adjust to us. And it will not be. But there's a problem with those things that are called sacred. The danger is being out of balance. And we can develop sacred cows. 
to those things we call sacred. They become idols. How many of you know that when you put something as sacred into an act or a purpose, if it is more valuable to you than God, it has become an idol? And so religion, can, which is sacred, can become an idol. And we can worship false gods instead of the true Lord God, instead of the true Lord Jesus. Let me give you an example of the dangers of becoming sacred cows and worshiping them. Literally, you remember Jeroboam. He wanted the people of God, as the kingdom split north and southern kingdoms from Israel and Judah, Jeroboam set up a cow for the people to worship so they wouldn't go to Jerusalem to the presence of God. And he made the cow sacred. This is Yahweh. Worship at this cow. So wrong. And that's where we get the concept of a sacred cow. Do you know that there are people in certain religions that worship cows, literally? And so as they're starving, they won't kill the cow to feed themselves. That's a problem. When something sacred got out of control. Another thing that got was sacred is how many of you remember when in the wilderness journey the children of Israel wanted meat, God gave them quail, and as they ate the quail uh, in their rebellion, God sent serpents, and they were being bit and dying, and Moses interceded on their behalf, and God said, make a bronze serpent and put it on a staff so that if people would look at it, they would be healed. Did you know, and you can check this out in in the book of Kings, that King Hezekiah, 750 years after that brazen serpent was lifted up in the desert and in the wilderness, it wasn't until Hezekiah that he destroyed it. It was still lingering in Israel, and they were worshiping it as an idol. God told them to make it. But they transformed God into that thing. So we've got to be careful about the sacred and that we don't turn the sacred into the thing for God as a substitute than a relationship with God. Some of you have come out of religions that have had idols that represented God and became God to the people. I don't know if you're familiar with Gideon's story. Gideon was a great man of God, but after the great victory, he took the gold from the victory and made a priestly ephod, and everybody began to worship that, and the Word of God says they stumbled now over that ephod because the emblem of God became God to them. So I'm saying we need to have the sacred, but we never let the sacred replace the Lord. What is most sacred is our relationship to Him and honoring Him in all things. Now, we must balance the sacred. So what is the sacred we need to keep? It is God Himself. What is amazing and what God calls most sacred, believe it or not, is you. You are what is sacred. To God, Just the emblem of Christ dying on this cross, the most important thing for God was to demonstrate His love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is a person on that cross. That person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the most sacred image there is. He is the exact representation of the Father, the radiance of His glory. And if we're to keep anything sacred, it is Christ and Christ alone. 
And what God keeps sacred is that he gave his life for you. So that you would be sacred. You would be the holy thing on this earth. And Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So if there's anything sacred that we are to live with, it is us. We're the emblem of what is sacred. Life is valuable. Life is sacred. Your brother and sister is sacred. The people of God is sacred. Even the lost sinner is sacred to God because he died for them. We've got to return the value to life. And we're the only people who can do that. Christianity is the only religion that has a man hanging on a tree that says the value of human life is the value to God. And that love that was demonstrated is what is sacred to God. Love one another. That is what is sacred. Love one another. It must be sacred. As you are sacred and you are holy, you are a sacred temple of the Lord God. Do you understand that? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you putting yourself as sacred before a holy God? And so this relationship between us and God is extremely sacred. And so what I want to do for you this morning as I've driven my point home is I want to teach you and help you understand a way in which we can simplify making things sacred. And I'm going to use the basic concept of first fruits. The idea of the first fruits in the Old Testament is that you were to take a portion that represented the whole and you made it sacred to God. You took a portion. The first fruits is this, that when you were planting a field, remember it was an agricultural society, they lived off of their fields and livestock, and they were to take the first fruits, the firstborn, and the first crop that began to bloom and blossom and they would take it as sacred at belonging to God and it represented that everything that was coming after it was God's but he counted us worthy to receive it and so if we would offer to him what is his first he will offer to us what we need And if you don't honor the sacred, you will not have what you need, and death will come in. Do you understand the principle? And so, with the concept of first fruits, I want you to begin to examine your life, and let's consider three things in you, the sacred people, as to how we can have a sacred life. And that would be time, talent, and treasures. Our lives are basically split up into those three divisions. And how do we offer time, talent, and treasure to God as something sacred? This is what we do all day long, every day. Let's start with time. Time. How many of you know that time is sacred? It is holy if you'll redeem it as unto God. In the book of Ephesians, it says, redeem the days, Ephesians 5, 16, redeem the times or the days, redeem the time for the days are evil. What does it mean to redeem? It means to make the most of. It means to reevaluate the, what you're living and how you're living. 
Do you know that some of us uh, are in a pursuit of, of, of trying to get so much treasure, we've lost all our time? There needs to be a sacred balance between time, treasure, and talent. And when we balance this out as our lives being sacred to God, we will find blessing. And we will find that we are useful to the kingdom of God. So what are you doing with your time? Are you redeeming it? Do you know every second counts is valuable? So how do we offer the first fruits of time? Well, offer unto God some time. Really simple. How about we pray? How about we communicate? How about we spend some time with God? In fact, Paul puts it this way, that we're to pray continually without ceasing. In other words, we're redeeming the time so that every second that ticks away, we're involved in a communication process with God. We don't limit God to a devotion time. Our devotion is time. It's really that simple. Is God on your mind 24-7? Is God in your heart? Do you consider Him as every second passes? Would you invite Him into time? And invite Him into your time, in your life. All that you do is sacred. God calls you the priesthood of believers. So whatever your labor is, whatever time you put into anything, invite Jesus into it. Make it sacred. Before you eat, make the mealtime sacred and invite God into the mealtime by blessing your food. You know that seems so simple, but that's the first fruits. Before you begin a business meeting, why don't you give five minutes before the meeting to God as a first fruits for the meeting so that everything that happens in the meeting, you've already given to God. The first fruit is His, He'll take the rest. Does this make sense to you? It's very simple. If you would offer God the first fruits, when you get in your car, say, God, help me, protect me. Give him the first fruits in all of your activity and set him, give him a minute, give him two minutes before every activity so that the first fruits of that activity belong to him. Therefore, he'll bless the rest of it. This is the concept of redeeming the time. Look at what uh, the psalmist says, Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What does it mean to number our days? Well, figure out how long you're going to live. You can't. (laughs) You're not an insurance salesman, life insurance. You know, according to our charts uh, and how you live, you've got about two years left. Well, if I had two years left, what would I do with my time? I sure would live differently. No, you wouldn't. I love people who think, well, I'm not going to think about Jesus and religion till maybe when I'm sick and dying. Then I'll think about God. No, you won't. God is now. The day of salvation is today. So what it means to number your days is literally, like Paul said, redeem the time. In other words, be aware of God's presence in your activities and in your thought life and in your time. Time is something God established in the beginning. He set forth a sun and he set forth a moon and he called it 24 hours and he called it a day. And so that it would rule over our lives in signs and seasons so that we would properly respond to him. 
and we'll be healthy for it. So let's, in our first fruits, offer God time first. Secondly, your treasures. Let us offer to God our talent. I'm sorry, yeah. Oh, that's, that's not supposed to say treasure, is it? Oh, I put treasure twice. That's supposed to say talent. I spent too much time <laughs> without sleep. Let me uh, change that to talent, but let me even refer to talent as effort. The first fruits of your efforts. How much of us give an effort into our relationship with God and to propagate the kingdom of God? How much effort are you using your talent to advance the kingdom? Now, it doesn't have to be in a church. In fact, it's better served among the lost. That's where the kingdom of God needs to be moving. And so how many of you are using your talent to reach the lost? Can you bake a cookie? Then bake it for your neighbor to tell him about Jesus. If you have a talent for drawing, then draw some pictures with some kids in the neighborhood with the chalk on the sidewalk. Make your treasure sacred. God made you unique in your talents and your giftings and your abilities in, your, in the way you think, in the way you consider things. And people need Christians who are sacred vessels to walk into their lives and bring something sacred through their talent to somebody. You have the ability to mediate between people, then be a sacred mediator at work and let it be the first fruits. Give your efforts to God. Did you know that the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy you? He wants to take your talent and ability and have you bury it. God put his spirit in you to amplify what he made you to be. The spirit is the motor or the engine by which you perform these talents unto God. So give him the first fruits. Before you spend 50 hours a week at work, decide how you're going to spend 10 minutes of offering something to God through your value. Men love to work. It's their attaboy. It's their sense of identity. And so we get lost in work because we get uh, value from it. But could I ask you to share that value with the work of the kingdom of God? Take Him to work. If you're an accountant, do the accounting unto God and live as a sacred accountant that when you're crunching numbers, they're being crunched under the sacred pencil in your hand. And everybody around you understands that you're a sacred accountant. Why? Because you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't cheat the numbers. You won't stretch the numbers. You won't do anything that is wrong because you're sacred and holy. Wherever you work, you're a priest. And so take that. If the believers would take what is sacred themselves into the arenas of a secular world, we could then rise in those areas and take those realms for the kingdom. Just as an example or an illustration, the vice president is a born-again Christian. And so he has now been put and elevated to a place to decide the cabinet. 
How genius of God is that? Everybody's been praying for Christians to have an impact in our government, and God set the guy up, always typically second in command, as Joseph and as Daniel. That usually works best because that is where the work gets done. And God set him up to decide the cabinet on how those who should pick. So he took the mountain of government because a believer was in that position and gave the first fruits of his time and effort. His first statement was, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. So the first fruits is to God and everything else that he does is blessed by God. Do you see the point? It is sacred that you, what you do with your talent, is given to God first and he will give you the ability to perform. Last of all is your treasure. And what do we do with treasure? We live. We live. But we're to give our first fruits to God. The principle of the first fruits and the principle that we call a tithe or an offering comes from the concept of giving the first fruits. Uh, the first fruits of your harvest goes to God. The first fruits goes to God. That percentage, that 10% represents the whole. Now in the new covenant, that 10% isn't going to bring blessing or cursing, but the concept's still there that you are to set aside finance because if you want to live well and healthy financially, you invest in God's kingdom because where your treasure is, there lies your heart. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We can't serve God and money. And the love of money is the root of all evil, but money is used to develop the kingdom of God and for us to sustain our lives. Many of us are having financial woes. Many of us are having time problems with, with family and spouse and careers. Many of us are having talent issues because we're bored to death with what we do and we hate what we do. And so begin to make sacred your time, your talents, and now your treasure, and that will begin to bring life into your realm. Let me share with you a real basic understanding of making your finances sacred. Paul says this, very interesting verse. I've never heard anybody preach on giving and stewardship out of this verse. And God illuminated this to me. Ephesians 4.28 Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. In this, offering unto God what we do with our hands, our talent and our abilities and our time, we invest it in something that is honest and sacred. Time is sacred to God. Therefore, I will use it unto His glory. My talent is sacred to God. Therefore, I will work with it. There are, what Paul's talking to literally is there used to be people who were thieves that got born again and saved. And they figured, well, I've got a talent. Let me use it for God. <laughs> it's like, no, don't do that. That is dishonest. To take what is not yours is no longer sacred. In fact, the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not 
steal. That is a sacred command. You begin to treat other people's property as sacred. It doesn't belong to you. Honesty is something sacred. Do you see what I'm talking about today? Are you getting these principles to have sacred principles and sacred concepts in life? So no longer steal. Don't rob. Don't take what's not yours. And let God examine your heart on that. But rather, let him labor. So we're supposed to work because work is blessed of God. Work is sacred. How many of you know that? Did you know that work started in the garden? God said, here's the garden. Make it multiply. How are you going to do that? Work. Takes work. Right? Cultivate this garden. That takes work. Now, the curse brought sweat of the brow and thorns from the ground. Made the work hard. But when you turn the work into something sacred, oh, it's still hard, but it's a joy as unto the Lord. Doing all things as unto the Lord. And so now, I'm going to work. And so what I need to do is I need to make money. And the reason I'm making money is I'm doing it so that I will have something. You need to sustain your life. In fact, Paul says this in 1 Timothy, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially the members of his own household, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an infidel or an unbeliever. Work is essential. Work is sacred. So the finance, the reward from your work becomes sacred because you're a sacred vessel. And so what you receive from your honest work and your talent and your labors unto Christ as doing it all unto Christ, like I said, if you're an accountant to Jesus, praise God. If you're a housewife unto Jesus, praise God. If you're a traffic cop to Jesus, praise God. Do it with all your heart, might, and soul as unto God in all honesty and in all your talent and as you will approach it as a sacred vessel unto God, you will be used for the kingdom. And your reward is finance that sustains your household. Now, out of that finance, you are to have enough for first fruits to God, as well as enough to sustain your household. And then look at what it says at the bottom here. To have enough to share with anyone in need. Now, let me ask you this. I began to consider this. If order, in order for me to have enough for someone who's in need, I need to have enough for me. Does that make sense? So I need to have more of a financial stability than just provision for myself. The Bible says I'm supposed to have enough provision for others. That's the sacred view of finance in the kingdom of God. It goes beyond what you have. This is why the prosperity gospel that says you're really blessed if you have more and more and more. You can have tons. God has no problem with someone having so much money as long as they're giving the excess of what they have to those in need. You can have very little finance for yourself but still have a sacred heart that gives enough to someone in need. The widow's might. Does this make sense? It's not about the amount that you have. It's amount of your heart. Finance is sacred so that you reach the lost, sustain your life, and the only way to make it sacred is to take a portion of it and give the first fruits to God. Why? Because it makes you adjust all that you do by putting God first. 
You adjust your use of your time every day if you'll put him first in it. You will adjust your talents and how you use your life if you put him in it first. And financially, you will be more sound if you begin to give to the kingdom of God his portion so that then you will have to adjust how you spend your money so that you have enough and enough to give to somebody else. The days are coming when people are going to need help. And God is expecting his church to be in such a sacred order of life, time, talent, and treasure that will be available to be the ministers of help to a society that's going to go bankrupt. What is that going to take? It's going to take us to consider our time, our treasure, and our talent as sacred. How do we align it? You begin the practice of first fruits. So when you go home today, you begin to consider, how have I spent my time and have I give time to God? And he'll bless the rest of the use of my time. When I was in college, I used to, have, uh, I used to use this concept because we would have uh, exams and I would have papers that were due and so forth. And uh, it would come Wednesday night and I had to decide, should I go to work or should I, or should I go to uh, church or should I do my schooling and this and that. And about halfway through my college career, I realized that if I would go to church and honor God, he gave me a refreshing and anointing, and he gave me downloads in that church that when I got home, I could write that paper so much better without struggle. Now, that's just an illustration that if you would give to God, and it's the same thing with finance. If you would begin to be open with God in having enough to share with others, what you share with others, the Lord will bless what it remains in your hands. And it means we have to steward ourselves. And so I conclude with that and I say this, live a sacred life. Restore the sacredness of your time, your talent, and your treasures to God. You matter to God. You are sacred to God. Respect each other. And if you will live a sacred life, you will find life flowing abundantly. Let's bow our heads.